0: we often feel the tension between the promises made by God whom we believe to be good and then our life experiences. Those life experiences which include bereavements, health struggles, financial problems, trouble in marriages, singleness, worry about our (coughs) children or grandchildren and Christmas can, can often heighten those tensions and I'm not sure about you, but if you've got elderly family members, <coughs> um, then you might also be worrying about them, many of them who keep reminding us that it might be their last Christmas with us. <laughs> Hopefully you're not one of those. But it's so understandable that we so so easily miss personal peace. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. There is a tension between the promises made by God, who we believe to be good, and our life experiences. See, God promises goodness and peace. Psalm 73.1 says that God is good to those who are pure in heart. The psalm testifies to God's goodness to his people. And in Deuteronomy 5.33 Promises of prosperity were given with the law. <clears throat> A few weeks ago, we looked at Matthew 5.8. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus promised that the pure in heart will see God. Over and over again in the law, in wisdom literature, and in the New Testament, we see that God promises goodness and peace to his people. Yet God's own people, and you know this, often suffer hardship and turmoil. That is our lived experience. The psalmist in Psalm 73 cries out, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. I'm sure we've been there at times ourselves. He looks around at his suffering and turmoil, yet God had promised That he is good to those who are pure in heart. And we can also look at the book of Job here as another example. God was faithful to the Lord, yet God allowed unimaginable suffering to occur to him. He suffered the loss of his entire family, all his wealth, all his possessions, his health. (coughs) And the scorn of his friends and neighbours. He lost position prosperity power and his progeny yet he remained faithful to god sorry excuse my voice it's terrible i've been singing too much we could all think of examples of god's own people's suffering perhaps we're suffering right now perhaps you're suffering through a terrible moment in your life now it, it'll it'll either come good or it'll be gone completely in a minute Hardships and turmoil, they surround you. And this was Jesus' own experience too. Recall the words of Isaiah 53, where Isaiah speaks of a man of sorrows who was despised and rejected, pierced, crushed, chastised, wounded, oppressed, and afflicted. Our Saviour and Lord knows suffering. He knows turmoil and hardships. His own experience was just like ours. And the tension between God's promises and our experiences can lead to doubt, envy, and bitterness. Verse 2 of Psalm 73 But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In the midst of suffering, envy beckons (coughs) so that we no longer see God's goodness. When we envy, we take our focus off God and direct our attention to the lives of others instead, which only generates more envy and eventually bitterness. And bitter envy leads to all kinds of sin. James, in chapter 3, verses 14 and 16, he lists the following. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Thank you. Actually, grab me a Coke from the fridge. Just the scratching will probably really help. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, so James three talks about selfish ambition and ex- will exist and disorder and vile practice if we suffer selfish ambition in our hearts. Bitterness causes trouble, and it defiles many. Hebrews 12:15 Thank you. <coughs> See how this works. Oh, the scratching is good. <laughs> Hebrews 12:15 See that no one falls to obtain the, fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by many become defiled. Bitterness and envy can trigger a crisis of faith or even hinder new faith as well. In Psalm 73, we see that focusing on others' lives adds doubt in God's goodness and bitterness causes us to ignore God. Envy and bitterness are shameful emotions and so we don't easily confess them to other people or even to God. We tend to keep them all to ourselves and ensure the internal battle and struggle with them ourselves. And so bitterness grows fairly steadily in the darkness and, you know, for these generations they're only stoked with a diet of Facebook and Instagram, where all we see is a carefully curated selection of the finest moments of life, which isn't reality at all. And so when we go down the rabbit hole of envy and bitterness, as we see evil prosper, we see those opposed to God you know, surprisingly, it would seem being blessed. Then we compare that to ourselves and our own struggles, and it's no wonder it can trigger a crisis of faith and even be hindrance to new faith. Because what we see doesn't seem to match the promises of God. And we get stuck in envy and bitterness as we look to those around us. But if we bring our faith crisis into God's presence, He transforms and strengthens us. In Psalm 73, in verses 23 and 28, or 23 through to 28, the psalmist finally comes into God's presence. And it's almost like just the the confusion just clears. The psalmist is now reassured that even though his flesh and his heart may fail, God will not. He won't fail. He won't. See, once in the presence of God, the psalmist is transformed, His, his desires... And above all other desires is to take refuge in God. And he concludes with one of the most beautiful declarations in the entire book of Psalms. Verse 28. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So it's not just the nation of Israel, it's to those who are pure in heart. That can include us. You see, even though our circumstances may not change... We can know and share the peace of God, which Paul says transcends all understanding and will guard <clears throat> your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It's more about bringing those moments of doubt, those moments of worry and concern, those moments of hardship. It's about bringing those moments into God's presence rather than toughing it out alone. Jesus himself said, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John sixteen thirty three. So if you're missing personal peace, will you bring your doubts, your troubles your envies, your bitterness, will you bring that to God and in exchange receive his peace? Will you bring your troubles and doubts into the presence of God and give them to him? You know, we often have the, the saying in Christian circles of laying something at the feet of the cross. But if you lay something down, you can pick it up again. But if you give something, it's no longer yours. Do you get that? Give your doubts, your fears, your insecurities, your bitterness, your envy, your struggle with hardship and tormentors. Give that to God. Take it into his presence, because then it's no longer yours. And I guess the other question is, How can we then have peace every day? Because it's something that should be an element of each one of our days. How can we have God's peace every day? Is there something practical that we can do to have that great peace from God that he promises? What are some of the healthy spiritual habits we might be able to employ and practice to bring those troubles into God's presence each day. And I guess the question is, how does the Christmas story help us find peace for our daily demands? You know, if you think about the birth of Jesus, the spectacular birth of Jesus, I think all we're missing here is angels. Um, But if you think there were angels... There was the virgin conception, fulfilled prophecy, shepherds, choirs of angels, a star, visiting magi, and, yeah, some strange gifts. It can be hard to relate this extraordinary activity to everyday life. <coughs> this is not everyday life for any of us, really. And maybe it's, it's helpful escapism But in the dramatic Christmas story, what can help us find peace for our daily demands? Well, when Jesus, when the family of Jesus returned from Egypt to Nazareth, did Jesus' life continue to be spectacular? I mean, there's been fascination for, for centuries over Jesus, what they call the hidden years, his years growing up. There's been Gnostic books written like the infancy Gospel of Thomas, fancifully describing and uncharacteristic stories of Jesus bringing clay birds to life and raising people to life. It's all fiction and fantasy. Um, But in Luke's Gospel, we're actually given just a little snippet of a more ordinary account of Jesus during those growing years and it just says that they returned home and if you want to follow along jump into Luke chapter 2 they grew and became strong filled with wisdom and the favour of God was upon him see Jesus grew up in a poor Jewish home his hometown Nazareth was a rural area where people fished or farmed. And it's here that Jesus learnt and practised the family trade of carpentry. From age two, when the Magi left, Jesus' life was the ordinary, normal, regular life of everyone else. His lived experience was just as the son of a carpenter. He didn't grow up in a palace like Moses' even though that's what the Prince of Peace deserves. He didn't have all the trappings of a fine upbringing that we would expect of royalty. Jesus lived an ordinary, normal life as a kid. I like some of the, um, the, the creative minds that go to things like this. I remember seeing a cartoon of Jesus as a kid and Mary saying, Jesus, get in the bath as you're standing on the bathwater. <laughs> Like, it's just those sorts of things. We want to fill in the time of Jesus' upbringing, don't we? We want to know what's going on. And in Luke 2, we're given a little snapshot. Because if you think about your life as a child, I don't think any one of us would say that our childhood was spectacular. It was probably cool for us. There's probably bits that we look back and think of fondly. But I don't think any of us would go, I had the most spectacular childhood you could ever imagine. Right? It's just not our experience. And it wasn't Jesus's either. His was just like ours, completely ordinary and normal. There is an, account, an interesting account, though, of Jesus at age 12. See, the family had travelled to Jerusalem for a religious festival. And they were unable to find Jesus as they returned to Galilee. And so Joseph and Mary, they rush back to Jerusalem and search the busy city for their son. And after three days, they find Jesus. So it's not hard to imagine their concern. Parents, have you ever lost a child? You know, as a parent, it's really upsetting and concerning that you've lost your child. We've got all the different scenarios running through our head in a flash of all the terrible tragedies that might have befallen our precious child. And most of us, we find the kid in two minutes hiding in a rack of clothing or around a tree at a park or something, you know. But can you imagine this going on for three days? Can you imagine the angels that came to herald Jesus looking down and thinking, what, they've lost him? Like, we entrusted him to their care and have lost him three days. Yet Jesus responds as a 12-year-old might. He wasn't lost. He knew exactly where he was. He was unconcerned for his parents' emotional state because he knew where he was the whole time. If we'd lost a child for three days, we would be frazzled. But Jesus was not concerned at all. See, Jesus behaves in a way we do not expect of a 12-year-old. He stayed in Jerusalem to be in the temple and was found sitting among the teachers, listening and asking questions. Luke chapter 2, verses 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Now, I'm sorry, but who left without their child and yet it's jesus that treated them so anyway that's just maybe we need to take a a check as parents sometimes who we blame um son why have you treated us so behold your father and i have been searching for you in great distress and he said to them why were you looking for me did you not know that i must be in my father's house and they did not understand that the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I'm sure it wasn't the, the turmoil that she treasured. But I'm sure it was the relief of finding Jesus in his father's house. And I find it really interesting that Jesus First words in the Gospels show that He was aware of who He was. At 12 years of old, 12 years of age, Jesus knew that God was my Father. This is the bedrock of everyday peace. Jesus knew who He was. He knew his father was God. That he was God's son. And at age 30, what we see of Jesus at his baptism as God's beloved son, or when he faced temptation, what we see there, Jesus already knew at age 12, he knew he was his father's son. He was sure and certain about his own identity. And I've never really paid much attention before to those first words of Jesus recorded in the scriptures. But here they are. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Why should they be concerned when Jesus was at home? And we too can share in the comfort that Jesus is still home. He is right where he's supposed to be. He's still on the throne in his father's house. See, Jesus' growing years commends ordinary life to us as a wonderful way to grow a relationship with God. Jesus grew up in a godly family, studied scriptures, worked in the community, had positive and honourable relationships. His birth, yes, was spectacular, but his growing years were typical of a godly Jewish family. And that is the precious blessing of godly families. And not all of us have had that privilege and blessing of growing up in a godly family, but we all have the honor and privilege of making that our future. And if you're young and single here today, and a godly family is something that you can create for your family when you are blessed with one. The ordinary life is a wonderful way to grow in our relationship with God. There are less distractions that take us away from God. And if we're able to cultivate healthy relationships, building those habits with God in the ordinary normalities of life, then we will hold ourselves in very good stead for the moments of crazy that we all come across. You know, Christmas is a special time of year. But most of life is ordinary. And we see here from Luke that God uses our ordinary daily life to grow us, not just the spectacular seasons. As we approach a new year, which begins in just a little bit of time, What daily rhythms can grow our our life with with God or our family's relationship with God? We also see that the boy Jesus had a different perspective on God's presence to his parents. Understandably, Mary and Joseph were anxious to find their lost son. In contrast, the lost son jesus knew he was safe with god his father and i think we could learn a lot from 12 year old jesus know that we are safe with god our father rather than searching anxiously to find what we think is lost we are found in the presence of god rather than the anxiety of searching you know we could consider this 12 year old naivety but as jesus grew older He never changed. Whatever happened, Jesus trusted in God as his good Father in heaven. Even at the cross, Jesus completely trusted God. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Do we have that same trust? Or are we too quick to wrestle back control? thinking that we can fix what's broken and we can bring peace ourselves. Through Jesus, we are brought into his relationship with God as our good Heavenly Father. And like Jesus, we can grow in trusting God every day, putting down deep roots of, of peace with God in the ordinary times prepares us for the tough times when challenges come. A 12-year-old may be better at this than adults, but Mary and Joseph learned something that day that they found Jesus in his father's house. That was the moment that Mary treasured in her heart, and we can too. Today we've seen that promises are lived out in a broken world, which can generate doubt and confusion sometimes, robbing us of personal peace as we get trapped in envy and bitterness, as we look around and then look back at ourselves and go, why not me? However, we will find personal peace in the presence of God. So bring your doubts to God and receive his promised peace. And the daily practice of trusting God our Father builds peace for the challenges in life. So value the ordinary life in forming our godliness and building our trust in God. Establish those daily rhythms in the presence of God to instill the peace of God in each day. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you at this this time of christmas and lord we are aware that we do live in a broken world we live in a world where we look around and we see what we would consider sometimes to be the wicked prospering we look around and we see the excess we see the happiness we see the joy and then there's that little tinge inside us of of envy sometimes because there's little things within us that we wish were better. We wish were different. We wish you'd bring blessing in areas that, Lord, we are feeling a lack and a want. And so, Lord, would you protect our heart? Would you help us bring those, those feelings of envy? and Would you help us bring those into your presence and give them to you? so that, Lord, they don't grow into roots of bitterness that so easily take us away from your plans and purposes and particularly take away the peace that we can have in you. And Lord, would you also help us in the ordinary, normal, mundane, everyday parts of life to seek deep roots into your presence, Lord, to cultivate healthy spiritual habits of coming to you in prayer, of continually giving you our, our doubts and our wants and our fears and our anxieties. Lord, would you help us give them to you so that, Lord, we can every day have your peace replace those areas of, of want and of lack and of, of concern. May we be people who regularly open your word to hear from you, to know you more deeply, to, and like the psalmist, you know, to, from Psalm 73, to take our comfort in you, Lord Jesus. And that we would delight in you. And that we would indeed be pure of heart. And so Lord, in the business of Christmas this year, we ask that you would give us those quiet moments to still ourselves before you. And Lord, that you would fill us with all peace. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, my voice just about got there, but I'm not singing the next song.